0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Illumineers Quest podcast where we talk everything Lorcana. I'm Zach. And I'm Jacob. Thanks for coming on this journey with us. So today's episode's a fun one. We're going to talk about the tips and tricks for beginners that we've learned over our first week of play.
1: Yeah, we've, we've learned quite a bit, I'd say.
0: We thought we were becoming experts, I would yeah. say, in the yep. beginning. We knew we had a lot to learn, but we had studied a ton. Mm-hmm. However, we finally got our hands on cards. We finally got to do some starter deck battles, our first league matches on starter decks. We started building our own decks, and when we started building our own decks, boy, were we Mm -hmm. in a rude awakening at that point. Yes. We thought we knew a lot, and we were wrong.
1: Yes, that's for sure. Um, And we'll get into all that here in this, this episode.
0: Yeah, so this should cover some of the roadblocks that we came across, some of the other things that you as a beginner might not consider. You know, the big things I think that a new player will look at is ink cost, mm-hmm. strength and willpower, mm-hmm. lore that a card gives you, consider action and items to round out a deck and maybe just maybe start scratching the surface on abilities mm-hmm. and secondary attributes of cards. But that's where you really get into the nitty gritty of building a good, strong, well rounded deck. Would you agree with that one? Yes. So I think today we can talk a little bit about some of the basics, but mainly this is going to be the next level down. You know, getting into those next level tips and tricks that you might want if you get stuck and you don't know where to go or how to change your deck up if you keep getting beat.
1: Yeah. Yep, yeah, for sure.
0: So. To start this off, I think it's on the surface pretty
1: straightforward, mm-hmm.
0: but when you really start to get into the theory of the game, and we found out pretty quickly that lighter decks or having decks where you make sure you have enough small cost cards to play early on is really important.
1: And I think this is honestly like one of the biggest tips to give because... I found, like, my first few decks, I was stuck. I was like, this just isn't working out. And then I just started making, like, little decks with, like, a lot of littler cards, and it just started working out. So, what,
0: so what we mean by that is our lighter decks, or littler decks, is low-ink cost cards. Yeah. yeah. So, again, as just a quick recap for people that may not have played a game yet, on your turn, you get to draw one card, and you get to ink one card. Mm-hmm. There's obviously exceptions to the inking where if you have the cards that allow you to ink more or a card with an ability that allows you to ink an additional card. But in general, you're going to only be able to ink one card. And especially from the beginning, all of those cards that g- grant you more ink are cost more than one. So yeah. if you don't have any one ink cost cards, you're not playing a card on your first turn. Yeah, You can ink a card and then that's it. And so if you have a deck with no one or two cost cards then you can ink on your first two turns and then play on your third turn and at that point your opponent potentially could have two cards on the board they could Mm -hmm. have a one cost card and a two cost card maybe even three one cost cards yeah so making sure you're on the lighter side is important to getting out to a strong start you know i think we would agree that creating a deck with all one cost cards or two cost cards is probably not the right way but the tip is to make sure that you have a couple one cost cards or a couple two cost cards so that yep. you know you're going to be able to play your first or second turn yep also with the the ability to reshuffle if you will at the beginning of the game you know so you draw seven cards if you don't like two of them or you don't like your hand in general you can choose two of them to put to the bottom of the deck, draw two more to try to get to a place where you can start out strong. Yep. Care to add anything? Uh
1: I I agree with everything you said. Okay.
0: <laughs> That's fine. We can keep going. I just I think that and I've mentioned this before too, but people that have played Marvel Snap will definitely understand this, you know, paradigm of how to play the game because It's the exact same in Marvel Snap, where you start off with one energy, and so you can only play a card that costs one on your first turn. Then you get two energy your second turn. And so the same thing works with this. You build up your ink slowly over time. So by your third or fourth or maybe even fifth hand or fifth turn, then you're to the point where you can start to really play the the more powerful cards. But you have to build up to that, and you have to, if your strategy is to play a heavier deck, then you have to make sure... That your opponent isn't running away with the game before you can get to that, so you have to still have lighter cards in there to deal with their lighter cards before the game runs away from you.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the other things too is like, if you fill the board up with you know lots of lighter cards, um, there's only so many times that your opponent can can challenge and you know yeah. attack. So you that's fair. As they're challenging your cards, you can just keep questing.
0: Yeah, and, and, you know, and that's the, the, the benefit, I think, of going first versus second or vice versa. You know, If you're first, you don't get to draw a card. And so I've kind of hedged on going second because I like having more cards in my hand. But if you're first, you're in the driver's seat. So mm-hmm. if you have a one-cost card and you're questing, the other person can either quest or they can challenge. And if they're challenging, then they're getting behind because they're spending their time challenging versus questing. And if they're questing, they're always going to be one behind. So, getting out to a quick start, especially if you go first, is a key point to make. For sure. Okay. So, secondly, having abilities and dealing with tank characters. Yes. So, there's kind of two ways that I think are like the overarching strategies that you can deal with tanks. The first one is you have abilities on your characters that can deal with or help deal with tanks. There's usually not a a card that are, it's rare for a card to be able to like punch above its weight and you have, you know, a six or seven cost card that will be taken out by a two or three cost card. Yeah. Yeah. Challenger is an ability that will help you with that. Where if you challenge another card, that card gets higher strength. So that's one way to deal with it. That's an ability that will help. Yeah. Um, there are a couple cards that have abilities, um, that can just banish characters if they're banished too. We talked about this in our uh, in our ink tier list, like Cusco, for instance, on Emerald. He if he gets banished, he banishes his the character that, that challenged him as well. So you can deal with them in a few ways. The the second way would be actions and items. Yep. Do you want to elaborate on that?
1: Well I'd say the the biggest one that comes to mind for me is Dragonfire because that's a way to instantly banish anything that you want on your opponent's board, unless they have something like Ward going on. But other than that, you're not really afraid of anything we with ta- Dragonfire. We
0: talked about that, too. Dragonfire is a ruby card, and five cost. Mm-hmm. So if you have, for instance, Maui. Yeah. Um, he's in steel. He's an eight cost. He's
1: literally the biggest like tank card, stat-wise, in the game.
0: And... Dragonfire a five cost, so mm-hmm. if you have, as a player, enough ink to play Maui, they've definitely got enough ink to play five, and probably more to spare. Just right off the rip, before your ink can even dry, they're dragonfiring you, and he's gone. So that's why Ward's important, as Jake mentioned, to kind of, you know, deal with some of those. If you're building up a tanky deck, yeah, you probably want a card with Ward. Yeah, I think... Or yeah, I would strongly consider having Aurora.
1: Yeah, I think for sure, because it just... It protects you. It helps it helps uh, keep yourself safe.
0: Basically. Yeah, so the Aurora Sapphire card is a uh, card that grants all of the other characters on the board ward. Which, yep. again, ward uh, uh, disallows other opponents, or your opponent, from directly calling them out for anything. So Aurora uh, Dreaming Guardian is the one that we're referencing. Mm-hmm. And then secondarily, I think there are a lot of cards in steel, which again we touched touched on in our tier list. If you haven't listened to that one yet, that'd probably be a good one to to listen through as well. The steel ink type has a lot of direct dealing damage items and yes. actions. So fire your cannons, raise your sword, smash, smash the the blaster from uh, Lilo and Stitch. There's a lot of cards that just deal direct damage. So if mm-hmm. you have a low-cost card that's, call it three or four ink, that does a decent amount of damage, but you have a really tanky character you're going up against, if you pair that with an action or item, then you probably can punch above your weight enough yes. to get that character yeah. out. And so that's kind of the way to you know deal with both sides. You know, we talked about lighter decks being not lighter decks in general, but having lighter or low-cost cards in your deck being important. If you want to build a tanky deck, then you just have to be aware of those things that might get thrown your way. Yeah, yeah, like okay. actions and items and the abilities that
1: they might have to hurt you. Yeah, you have to be aware of those counters whenever when you're making any deck, really. But especially with tanky, tanky Yes. Cards.
0: And, and and the other downside to tanky characters or tanky cards is... Again, we talked about on that on the, the previous tip on building, you know, decks with light cards in them is if you have like and Heroic Outlaw, which might be my favorite card, love the art, love the ability, love the stats of the card, yep. love the shift ability.
1: Yeah,
0: It's seven cost straight up, five cost on the shift, so even if you're shifting, you're not doing that until 4 or 5 turns in. And you're not doing it till 4 turns in if you have other cards from Sapphire that are allowing you to get ink faster. Yeah. And so it's just it's very hard to get those a bunch of those cards out there and get them on the board where they can be beneficial to you. Yeah. So you don't want to go overly heavy.
1: No, not at all. Not at all.
0: Think the so the next tip that we have is kind of a shot at ourselves. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> when we were reading through the card decks pre release and we watched a few of like Ryan Miller's videos on with the community on getting people up to speed on how to play the game, one of the things that we thought would be really cool would be stacking ink fast. Yep. Again, touched on this in the ink tier list. We thought stacking ink and having a ton of cards from sapphire that add ink to your inkwell really quick would be incredibly overpowered and
1: It's not it's not (laughs) no, it's it's Basically the main counter to it is you're taking all these turns and using all these cards to build up your ink and Your your opponent could very well be already halfway to 20 lore. Well, and you're kind
0: of countering yourself because if you're main function is to stack ink then you're losing cards in your hands too mm-hmm. you know if you play Tala and you play mickey mouse detective and you play one jump ahead which are the three main ink building cards from there i
1: throw fishbone quill in there as well
0: fishbone quill allows you to take a card out of your hand mm-hmm. so fishbone quill for instance takes two cards it takes that card itself hmm and another card from your hand that you want to ink into your inkwell. So that's two cards out of your hand. One jump ahead is one card out of your hand into your inkwell. So it's basically just turning that card into ink. Because it goes out of your hand into your discard, turns it into ink, takes a card off of the top of your deck into your inkwell. And same thing with Mickey Mouse Detective. It takes a card out of your hand, and then you get to put the top Card of your deck into your inkwell. Mm -hmm. And so you're using a lot of cards to get that ink into your inkwell Which is in great in theory, but what we didn't consider Was that you run out of cards very quick. Yep When you run out of cards, you're at the mercy of your deck being in good shape so if you for instance are playing sapphire ruby Sapphire Steel and you get Aladdin Heroic Outlaw or you get Giant Tank or you get Maui then that's fantastic if you draw Flounder (laughs) or you know the base Aurora that's two cost from Sapphire you're in trouble.
1: Yep 100% The
0: other opportunity with that is to play amethyst, so like a sapphire amethyst, and hopefully draw a bunch of cards to offset the ink that you're building. But again, to your earlier point, your opponent might just be going crazy questing and building ink as you're, or building lore as you're doing this, and so you might be behind, be behind six or seven ink by the time your strategy's starting.
1: Yeah, and that goes back to our first tip: is lighter decks seem just seem better. Um, and those, I think, as people figure out the game, will get more and more play. And I just think, as the more that happens, the, the more Sapphire gets left behind, I think.
0: You have more value on your first two or three turns yep. with lighter decks. And with yep. Sapphire, it tends to want, make you want to play heavier decks because you're building that ink.
1: It just takes you longer to get going.
0: Correct. So... Kind of a good transition there. So, along with you know, like we said, the building ink, you want to draw cards. Drawing cards and adding cards to your deck or to your hand seems to be super op.
1: Yes, a hundred percent. And I think obviously, amethyst is the number one ink for that. Um, I think it just obviously like just screams like we draw cards. You know, like I think it's the it's the best for that. And um, I've been playing lots of amethyst. Um, and it just it drawing cards you, you just have so much to play you know you're never running out.
0: Yeah, and so again, like we said with the Sapphire deck two seconds ago, you can run out of cards really fast. So we'll take we'll take you through a first the first couple hands here or your first couple turns. Mm-hmm. You start with seven cards. We'll say you're the first turn, so you you have seven cards. You don't get to draw a card that first turn. You ink a card. You play a one cost card. Mm-hmm. You now have five cards in your Turn two, you ink a card, or you draw a card, so you are at six cards, Mm -hmm. but then you ink a card and you play a card. So now you're at four cards. Yep. Turn three, you draw a card, so you're at five cards. Let's say you play you ink a card and you play two cards this time. Because you have, you know, three or four ink. So you have a lot of ink now that you can play maybe not just a, you know, a one or a two or three cost card, maybe you play a one and a two, or something along those lines. So you're down to two cards in your hand, three turns in.
1: Yep. And so
0: if you have a card that will draw you cards, so like Maleficent is probably one of my favorite cards. It's Maleficent Sorceress. She costs three, and she, when played, she draws a card. Yeah. So you play a card, but then you instantly replenish it. Yeah. So... The point of that is to say again after three turns, maybe four turns depending on how you're playing you're really low on cards So you need to be able to replenish it, which is again Why we think amethyst is so good and why the strategy is really strong
1: Yeah, go back to the uh, tier list video to see where we rank amethyst and I think that tells you also how much we think drawing cards is just super yeah, right.
0: it it is. And again, this is probably the third time I'll say it now, as we talked about on the sapphire side, if you have no cards in your hand and you're at the mercy of what's on the top of your deck, you're probably in trouble. Yeah. Because you have 60 cards in a deck and if you're hoping for one, maybe two cards, that's 8 cards out of 60, you know, that's right over 10% chance of getting what you need. And if you've already had to ink one of those cards maybe You know, you had one in your initial hand, didn't want to use it super early on because it was a higher-cost card, so you ink it. Now you're talking, you're down to, you know, six or seven. So you're right at, you know, 10% chance of having the cards you need. So it's just, it's a... It's unreliable. Yeah, you you can't rely on you having the card at the top of the deck that you need. So drawing cards Mm -hmm. keeps you from running into that problem. Uh... And Then kind of you know in in conjunction with some of the stuff We've talked about with the stacking the ink and the drawing the cards and you know keeping the ball rolling Are all the expensive characters overrated like just in general like is it is you know some of these these cards You know that from a collector standpoint and from a flashy like set standpoint seem really cool. I mean the first one that comes to my mind is the legendary Maleficent. She costs nine.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How do you ever like? Have you ever played? So we said on it on an earlier episode, we've played thirty to forty games each. How many of those games have you gotten to where you've had nine ink in your ink well?
1: The highest cost card I've ever played was seven.
0: I think I would agree with that. I think the highest I've played is seven as well, but. And that rarely happens And it me. might have just been... I don't even know if I played... And I'm sure you're talking about Aladdin Heroic Outlaw. Yes. I've played Aladdin Heroic Outlaw. I don't know if I've played him straight up. I think I've shifted him when I've played That, that. could also be so true. So I think the, the highest cost card I've played is six. Okay. So you have to... If you're playing a nine cost Maleficent Monstrous Dragon where when you play this character you banish another character which is basically Dragonfire. Yep. What does your mid-game look like? Because early on, if, you're, if your goal is to get to Maleficent, you have to do something to attack the other people or to attack your opponent early on so that they're not at 14 lore when you're at 3 because all you've been doing is trying to get to Maleficent. Yep. What is your, so you have to attack early on. You have to stay at pace early on. So what does the mid-game look like? Like what are you doing in the mid game? Just using items yeah. to try to keep their characters off the board.
1: I think so. I mean, but
0: again, that's the best case scenario, right?
1: And obviously, I think this Maleficent card is very. I mean, this is the extreme. It's you know. it's
0: incredibly powerful. Don't get me wrong, but you also have like Gantu, which that's a terrible example. But he because he's at eight ink and he's just kind of a really bad card. You know, like Mickey Mouse, Brave Little Taylor. He's evasive. At eight with four lore, so that's a really good card too. But still, it's eight ink. Like, yeah. how do you get to eight ink? Yeah. And stay in the game to get there.
1: Yeah, I, I rarely see that expensive of a card ever in a game.
0: I think you have the strategy if you're good if if you want to play a heavy card if you want to play bricky brave little Taylor Mickey Mouse, you have to just like end the game with him. You yeah. have to somehow use him and have rush. Or something to play him quest in the game. Because I don't see a world where your mid-game, so call it rounds like three through six, stay at pace with your opponent or close enough with your opponent to where you get this card and have Rush to get him going to win. Because again... We talked with Dragonfire. We talked with Steel. You have other abilities that can knock him down really quick. So it, it just it's a it's a huge risk. It's a massive risk to play something on one turn, one card that expensive.
1: I just think, in most cases that I've seen, it's not worth it.
0: The game is is almost decided by that point mm-hmm. because you can you know so again you play mm-hmm. one ink per turn. Let's just say you stay down that path, so you can play him at the earliest at turn eight. Yeah. And if you've played other cards before that, your hand's depleted. Completely. You've played eight ink. You've played, call it five or six other cards. You're you're just you're in trouble. I mean, it's that simple.
1: Yep, and more likely than not, um, your opponent has just so many cards on the board at that time because you're not really dealing with them. They're just. They're winning yeah. the game. They yeah. probably already won. That's that that's
0: point. most likely the case. I mean the only like theoretical way I can see that this would happen is if you've done a really good job of building up your ink fast with, you know, a potential sapphire deck of some sort. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like best case scenario. And so like best case scenario you get him out turn five, maybe. Yeah. But then you have to hope that your opponent doesn't have um doesn't have dragon fire. And if they don't, he's got five willpower, five strength, and so he's not that hard to take out. There are a lot harder cards. So I just, I I think that it's a best-case scenario strategy. I don't think you can bank on the high-cost cards winning you the game.
1: Yeah, and I think this, like, we're talking about eight and nine, I think that even, you know, six or seven also, not as much, but also, is also in this this talk here, is conversation as well, because I just think that even though it's turn 6 and 7 it's still it's still kind of the same thing it's still you know your opponent is still running away with the game basically
0: yeah the, you know and and i think the there are like really tanky characters like gantu or maleficent or hades um elsa even is is, is getting there you can only attack one per turn, you know. So, like, if you want to challenge one character, you know, if there was an ability, I mean, I know there's um, there's rush, and there's a couple one like uh, what's the the ruby card that lets you ready?
1: Oh, it's Le- LeFou and uh, Fan the Flames. Fan the
0: Flames. I couldn't think of it. Yeah. So if you have a Fan the Flames that lets you ready the card back up again to uh, to attack again. Then maybe, but if you if your strategy is to do that, then again, like you're, you know, you're talking, we you were already talking getting him on the board at five or six, and now you're talking, you know, six or seven, you're just challenging to deal with the cards your opponent has already built up. Yep. If we're wrong here, please let us know. Yeah. Because I would love to play little Taylor Mickey. Yeah, me too. Or Mickey Little Taylor on there. I would love to play Maleficent. We just have not come up with a way that it makes sense to have those in your deck.
1: No, not not even close.
0: And lastly but not least, uh, we, we touched on this on our tier list episode as well. The healing ability or the healing in the game, you know, there are a couple cards that have like healing abilities. There's a couple items that heal primarily or amber remove damage. Yeah, primarily in the amber ink. Is that are we misunderstanding that or is that just really not that useful?
1: I I think it just it isn't I really I think that's the the short answer is it, it isn't that useful um, I think that's fair
0: and, and I tried a healing deck and I tried to understand it and I'm getting there where I think I'm starting to understand a couple like combinations of synergies that might work but we said this in the tier list as well and we go into it a little bit deeper The healing ability has to be very proactive. You can't reactively heal. Yeah. And what I mean by that is if you are attacked, meaning your opponent challenges you, there's a 50-50 chance that they just wipe your card out, Mm -hmm. or they maybe, you know, if you have a strong card, attack that card with two of theirs and do take it out. Yes. And so the healing ability, you can't rely on your opponent allowing you to heal. You have to devise a strategy where you attack them and then you heal that care that character or card that you just attacked or challenged with. I
1: think that's absolutely the best way to, to control it. I, I think reactively um... Healing is just too unpredictable, and really, your opponent is controlling what you heal at that point. Um, you can't really, you don't know what he's going to challenge. You might have a good idea, but you, you know, you really are just figuring it out as you go. You have
0: to control the narrative on the healing, yeah, and that's really hard to do. Yes, and some of those healing cards cost a lot as well. I mean, there's Dingle Hopper, you know, for shout out um, Ariel and Little Mermaid. Which will remove one damage every turn, mm-hmm. but one damage isn't going to out heal most cards. Yeah, most cards, unless they're a one cost, maybe some two cost cards are going to do two or three or four damage. Probably in the two to three range. Most of the ones that we found are really strong are in there. And so if your card has call it three willpower. Character challenges you does two damage. You remove one of them. You're still dead next turn. Yeah
1: yeah, so it's
0: great to have on the board, but
1: I Just think it's overrated a little bit
0: same thing with um, Other cards within the um, The amber ink you have healing glow as an action so you use it once and it's gone it costs one it removes two damage
1: that's a little bit more so I think. I think that's a little bit more useful than Dingle Hopper. It but. is a
0: little bit more useful, but again, it's still very limited because you get to use it once. Yep. And it's done at it's that point. Very
1: niche. The the other
0: the, the, the character, so the legendary Rapunzel gifted with healing, you know, from her hair from the movie. Shout yep. out Rapunzel fans. When you play that card, um You get to remove three damage from each of your characters. So that's like super overpowered. That's
1: obviously the best one.
0: And you get to draw a card for each damage you removed. So that's an incredible card. But again, you will have had to really devise a strategy where you have a couple damaged cards on the board Or it's useless because it's when you play it. So if you play it and you don't have any damage on the board, then it doesn't do you anything, and it's just another card. And so you had it's very situational, and you have to really synergize the deck around that ability to make it work well.
1: Yeah, and I I just don't think um, for Amber, there's a lot of things that work with that super well necessarily. So it just agree. It's very situational. I
0: hope I like the thought of healing a lot. Yes, you know, there's a lot of passive abilities. That cards have to deal damage Hans and Steel for instance we talked about that on the tier list like when he quests he deals one damage mm-hmm. there need to be passive characters that have some sort of healing ability for when they quest or when they challenge themselves to keep themselves alive longer or keep their other teammates alive and, and I don't know how that looks like I'm definitely not a game designer but I think they in our current state I don't feel like they fully thought out the healing
1: and again, we we still are in the very beginning. We're in the first chapter, so all these things we talked about could change, you know, as, as the months go by. And if uh, and
0: again, I I think I've said this already in this episode. If we are wrong, and you have an incredible healing deck, please let us know. We I want I want to build a cool healing deck. I genuinely do.
1: We're open minded to changing our opinions about anything here. Yeah, if we we'd,
0: we'd love to have some some somebody come in counter us and show us why we're wrong. Yeah. and learn and, and grow and get better from it. so yeah, I think that kind of covers the main points that a new player could ask or could have.
1: Yep, 100 percent, I think and again we we have these past like 48 hours basically of just playing the game and that's these are all the things that we've learned basically.
0: We we dove in. We had an episode that's out now that we dove in to some of the basics on like how to play the game. So if you're a new character and you're wanting some of the basics on like what to do on your turn, how to set your turn up, um, how to start your turn, how to you know interact with the cards and the damage counters and the lore and everything along those lines, you know you should go check out that episode too. And then once you have a really good handle on the game, come back to this and you know dive a little bit deeper into the strategies and how to you know build out a really strong deck and what to consider when doing so. Any, any last topics, suggestions, thoughts?
1: I think, like I just said, I think um, all these things could change. I just think that's the biggest thing to take away. Um, and I think that's the funnest part about it, is we could have all these things that we're saying now that could change in the next few months. You know, we have yeah. uh, Chapter 2 coming out, I think, about November time. And
0: end of November, beginning of December for, you know, card shop slash national retailers. But, yeah, so we got a couple months, and by then, you know, we'll have a lot of stuff to change I imagine and chapter two could change everything on its head
1: yep so stay tuned to the, the podcast here and we'll, we'll keep you up to date on all this
0: if you want to reach out or have any questions or comments or want to suggest deck ideas to us or correct us where we're wrong please please do you can email us at Lorconopod at gmail.com you can find us on twitter the same handle at loricanopod uh, we have YouTube We have YouTube videos for all the, the podcast episodes as well and other unboxing videos on our YouTube channel at Illumineers Quest on YouTube and you can find us syndicated on every podcast network that you like. So thanks for tuning in and if you have any questions, please reach out. All right, see you guys until next time. Bye.